beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are in the Advent season when we celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It was necessary for Jesus to be born to come and save us from our sins. Yet to be saved from our sins, more than just the birth of Jesus Christ is required. We also need to undergo a new birth. We all entered into this world in much the same way. We were conceived and born in sin and are therefore by nature children of wrath. In our natural state, we deserve to come under God's judgment and condemnation. God cannot and will not welcome us into his kingdom unless we are born again. That's the teaching of our text today. Now, in our Reformed churches, we don't often speak of the need to be born again. In evangelical circles, it became common to speak of your conversion experience as being born again. There are many who claim to be born again because they answered an altar call. They came forward committing their hearts and lives to God. But in their lives, there are no fruits of faith. There's no repentance, turning away from sin and turning to God. There is no submission to the Lordship of Christ. Instead, people live as they please. The fact that some misuse the term to be born again doesn't mean that we should avoid it. In our text, the Lord Jesus teaches us about what it means to be born again. Jesus makes it clear that unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless something changes inside of us, there is no hope of salvation. Unless God works new life in us, we cannot and we will not turn from our sins or believe in Christ. Unless God gives us a new heart, we will not be saved. This morning I preached to you God's word under the following theme. You must be born again. We'll consider why we must be born again, how we are born again, and the fruits of being born again. Our text takes place near the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. Jesus had come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover feast. John 2 tells us of how Jesus cleansed the temple, driving out the merchants, selling animals, and the money changers. Jesus also performed various miraculous signs. It had led to many believing in his name. Yet they did not have a true saving faith in Jesus. Because Jesus knew what was going on in their hearts, he did not entrust himself to them. Chapter 2 ends with the statement, for he himself knew what was in man. Our text begins with a particular man. The general truth found at the end of John 2 gets applied to a specific man. In John 3, the specific man was a Pharisee, Nicodemus. 
We often look negatively at the Pharisees because Jesus opposed their teaching and condemned their hypocrisy. Yet we need to understand that the Pharisees were highly respected members of the community. They were super serious about the faith. They taught the people to live their lives in strict accordance, not only of the law of Moses, but also of the tradition of the elders. Outwardly, they lived their lives in an exemplary fashion. Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. He was part of the Sanhedrin, the ruling council, a group of 70 men who had jurisdiction over every Jew on earth. He was a member of the ruling elite. And not only did Nicodemus have great political power, in John 3 verse 10, Jesus refers to him as the teacher in Israel. Apparently, Nicodemus was the greatest teacher in Jerusalem. He was a very well-respected scholar. There's some evidence that he came from a very aristocratic family that traced its bloodlines back to the Maccabees, a group that centuries earlier had revolted against the foreign rule and fought hard for Jewish independence. Nicodemus was nobody's fool. He was a well-educated man, and he held a powerful position in the land. Our text tells us that Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. Some suggest that he came under the cover of darkness because he did not want his fellow Pharisees and power brokers to know he was meeting with this new rabbi. Perhaps he'd been sent by them to investigate Jesus. Perhaps he came at night because this was a time when he could have an intimate discussion with Jesus without being disturbed by the interruptions of others. Our text does not reveal what his motivations were. What our text tells us is the words Nicodemus spoke to Jesus. He said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. The fact that Nicodemus calls Jesus rabbi shows a measure of respect. Even though Jesus came from Galilee and had no formal religious training. When Nicodemus says, we know, it suggests he's speaking on behalf of at least some of the Jewish religious leaders. They recognize that Jesus was someone different, someone special, someone who had a calling from God. But it doesn't mean that Nicodemus and the other religious leaders knew that Jesus was the Messiah or that he was the divine Son of God. Jesus answered Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Do you know what Jesus is talking about when he speaks about seeing the kingdom of God? Verse 3, or about entering the kingdom of God? Verse 5. It was a Jewish way of speaking about eternal life. Jesus is talking about salvation, about how we can share in the blessings of God forevermore, about how we can receive entrance into his kingdom and live with him in joy and glory in the life to come. If you're going to be saved, you must be born again.
just like in his dealings with many others, Jesus addresses the central issue facing Nicodemus in his life. He did the same with the Samaritan woman at the well who thought that she could find love in the arms of different men. He did the same with the rich young man who depended on his wealth for his identity. Jesus knows what is in Nicodemus. He knows how a Pharisee thinks. He knows that Nicodemus thought that they would enter the kingdom of God by being law keepers. Nicodemus thought that as long as he checked all the boxes, as long as he obeyed the law and the traditions of the elders, he could earn a place with God in heaven. He believed that he would be saved by his own accomplishments, by his good deeds. Jesus bluntly tells Nicodemus that in his current state, he could not enter the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus was no fool. At a certain level, he understood what Jesus was saying when he told him that unless he was born again, he could not enter the kingdom of God. The Jewish rabbis had a saying about Gentiles who converted to Judaism. They said, a proselyte who embraces Judaism is like a newborn child. All things were thought to be completely new. The old connections were destroyed. When Nicodemus heard Jesus' words, at some level he knew what Jesus was saying. Yet Jesus' words were shocking to him. If there was anybody in the land that could merit God's favor, it would have been Nicodemus. He was one of the most accomplished men of his age. He combined political power with moral excellence, and at the same time was the most highly respected scholar in the land. But in one sentence, Jesus sweeps away everything that Nicodemus stood for and believed in. Jesus was telling him that as he was, Nicodemus could not be accepted by God into his kingdom. Right now, Nicodemus was outside the kingdom. Just like a Gentile embracing the Jewish faith, Nicodemus needed to be born again. What does it mean to be born again? The Greek term used in our text can refer to being born again or being born from above. And that's very appropriate. Our text is speaking about a new birth that comes from God. Jesus explains how as sinful people, we need to be born of the Spirit of God. He's speaking about what our confessions call regeneration. Regeneration is the act of God alone by which he renews the human heart making it alive when it was dead. This work of the Holy Spirit does not depend on us in any way. There is no contribution that we can make from our side to the new life that God gives us. As it says in the Canons of Dort, chapter 3, 4, article 12, 
Regeneration is something which God works in us without us. It's through the mighty working of the Holy Spirit that we are born again so that once again we begin to reflect God's image in our daily lives. The Belgian Confession describes our rebirth in Article 35. It says, Those who are born anew have a twofold life. One is physical and temporal, which they received in their first birth, and this is common to all men. The other is spiritual and heavenly, which is given to them in their second birth and is affected by the word of the gospel in the communion of the body of Christ. This life is not common to all, but only to the elect of God. What a message Jesus brought to Nicodemus. What a message he speaks to us today. You must be born again. You see, beloved, we can live outwardly moral lives. We can attend church faithfully and send our kids to the Christian school. We may give faithfully of our first fruits. We may read our Bibles daily and participate in communal Bible study. But none of these things will save you. Ticking the boxes in terms of what's expected in our community life will not give you entrance into the kingdom of God. You must be born again. I'd like you to think for a moment about what happens when a baby is born. It happens at a moment in time. It only happens once. Once you are born, you cannot be put back in your mother's womb. Something similar happens with our rebirth. What Jesus was saying to Nicodemus is that he had a heart that was dead, which needed to be made alive. His sinful nature needed to be replaced with a new nature. Being born again is an event, not a process. Once we are born again, we need to be continually renewed by the Spirit of God. But first, you need to undergo the new birth. You need to be made alive by the powerful working of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, young people, boys and girls, have you been born again? Have you heard the Lord calling you unto repentance and life? call to repent and believe is a call that must be answered personally. You will not enter the kingdom of God unless you are born again. The fact that you've been baptized is no guarantee of salvation. Your church membership means nothing if your heart is not in the right place. We need to seek our life outside of ourselves, in our Lord Jesus Christ, and to commit our lives to his service, our rebirth is necessary unto salvation.
It brings us to our second point, and I will consider how we are born again. In our text, Nicodemus responds to Jesus' statement that we must be born again by asking a question. He asks, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Please remember that Nicodemus was a learned scholar. He was not suggesting that we physically need to enter our mother's womb to be born again. Yet Nicodemus' motivations in asking this question are not clear. It could be that he was being difficult. A man in his position could easily think he didn't need to be born again because he's living such an exemplary life. It could also be that Nicodemus was expressing a deep longing of his heart. Perhaps it was with wistful yearning that he says to Jesus, you talk about being born again, about that radical, fundamental change that's so necessary. I know it's necessary, but the question is, how does this change take place? That, beloved, is the, is the heart cry of fallen mankind. If we are aware of our corruption, our brokenness, the judgment that we deserve because of our sins, then we won't be happy where we're at in life. We desire to change. We want to be different. We want new minds and new personalities. We want to be born again but it is as difficult as going back to our mother's womb. Just as we have no power over our natural birth, we also do not control our rebirth. In answer to Nicodemus' question of how we're born again, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus had a pretty good idea of what Jesus meant by these words. Remember, he was the teacher of Israel. The Pharisees knew their Bibles, which at the time consisted of the Old Testament scriptures. When Jesus spoke of being born of water and the Spirit, Nicodemus would likely have connected that with the prophecy of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36 speaks of the Lord vindicating his name among the Gentile nations by bringing back his people from exile. The Lord describes what he will do for his people once he has brought them back to the promised land. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And be careful to obey my rules. I want you to note, beloved, what the Lord promises through Ezekiel. God promises to wash his people clean. He promises to give them a new heart, to work a new spirit within them. It's the Old Testament way of speaking about regeneration, of being born again. What needs to be clear is that God is the author of this work. He is the one who gives 
new birth. God is the one who cleanses and renews. It's all his work. That work was currently happening among God's people. Nicodemus knew that at that very time, large crowds were going out to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. John the Baptist was baptizing people as a sign of their inward repentance. When the people asked John what they needed to do, he told them to share their food and clothes with those in need. He told the tax collectors to collect no more than they were authorized to do. He told the soldiers not to abuse their authority and to exhort money, to extort money from others and to be content with their wages. Because these people's hearts changed, John baptized them with water as a symbol of the inward washing of the Spirit. Yet John refused to baptize the Pharisees and Sadducees who were not willing to humble themselves because of their sins. So how are we born again? Only by the powerful working of the Spirit of God. He needs to give us a new heart to put His Spirit in us. To do that, the Spirit needs to give us eyes that can truly see, ears that can really hear, hearts that can understand. We need to recognize how sinful we are how utterly corrupt our sinful nature is. By ourselves, we often won't recognize that. Sometimes God has to bring hardships and brokenness into our lives to break down our pride and our self-reliance. He needs to show us that life without Christ is meaningless, that ultimately it's devoid of comfort and hope. Jesus showed Nicodemus the way of true life. He referred back to Israel's wilderness wanderings when time and again they rebelled against the Lord. On one of those occasions, God punished them for their sins by sending snakes into the middle of the camp. Many of the people were being bitten and were dying. And so they cried out to God for help. He gave them a picture of a snake on a pole. He told them that if they looked at it, they would live. The Lord Jesus said, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. The good news of salvation is that God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. If we desire to escape condemnation, then the way to do so is by faith in Jesus Christ. We could ask, but why don't all people seek their salvation in Christ? Our Lord gave the answer to this question in John 3, 19-21. The problem is that many love the darkness rather than the light. They love the darkness because their deeds are evil and they're afraid that their wickedness will be exposed. Beloved, before we are born again, 
or born from above. We are spiritually dead. A dead person can't repent or believe or act in any way to save himself. First, he must be made alive. We're born again when God in his grace works new life in us. We're born again when he pours his spirit into our hearts and causes us to repent of our sins and believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. So how do you know that God has worked new birth in you? How do you know if you are born again? We deal with this in our final point, the fruits of being born again. One of the questions that always arises when we speak about being born again is a very personal question. How do I know if I have been born again? How can I tell if the Spirit has made me spiritually alive? Can I be sure of my salvation? How can I know that God will allow me entrance into his kingdom? We need to begin answering these questions by acknowledging that there is much about our new birth that we do not understand. Jesus compares the work of the Spirit to the wind. The wind appears to go wherever it wants. It blows here and there, and you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. You can't see the wind, and you can't predict it. You definitely can't control it. You only hear its sound, and you see its effects. So it is with the Holy Spirit and the, his work of regeneration. We don't understand why God works new birth in some and not in others. You can have children grow up in the same family, receiving similar nurture and care. And some are born again while others are not. We know that God uses the preaching of the gospel as a tool to bring people to repentance and faith. But we don't understand why the same preaching softens some hearts so that they believe and hardens others so that they refuse to submit their lives to Christ. Yet Jesus makes it clear that we can know whether or not we are born again. Those who are born again will show forth the fruits of that in their lives. In verse 6, Jesus said, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. What Jesus is saying is if, that if we are being ruled by our sinful human nature, it will bring forth the fruits of that nature in our lives. And our lives will be characterized by sexual immorality, impurity, sinful passions, evil desires, covetousness, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and the like. But if we're born of the Spirit, then our lives will reflect the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The point is not that we who are born again will live perfect lives. 
It's not that we'll never think or say or do things that are sinful, that grieve God. Born-again Christians still have to struggle with their sinful nature. But they hate their sins. They flee from them. They pray for forgiveness. They seek the grace of the Spirit in their fight against sin. They have a sincere desire to live in a close relationship with God and to do what pleases Him. They want to live their lives to God's glory. This morning, we may celebrate Cherica Bergsma's public profession of faith. Before the elders of the church, she gave a beautiful testimony of God's amazing work in her life. She acknowledged that there was a time in her life when she rebelled against her parents' instruction, when she tried to live life her way. But God humbled her and helped her to see that that led only to pain and brokenness. The turning point in Cherica's life was when the Lord gave her a daughter, Sophia, whose baptism we will also witness this morning. She understood she had a responsibility to care for a little baby. And to do that well, she needed to sort out her own life. God worked new life in her heart. We see the fruits of that this morning in Cherica's repentance, in her faith in her only Savior, and her commitment to devote her life to God's service. Beloved, being born again is an amazing work of God in the hearts of those whom he has chosen as his own. God works powerfully in us to open closed hearts, to soften hard hearts. He makes the will which was dead alive, which was unwilling willing, which was stubborn obedient. It's God's work in us which he accomplishes freely by grace alone. It's such a powerful work. The Bible compares being born again to God's work of creation and to the raising of the dead. Today we praise God for his amazing work in Cherica's life. And we pray for him to work new birth in the heart of of each and every one of us. Amen. Let's respond by rising and singing together about the Spirit's mighty work. We'll sing hymn 50.